Therefore, no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For though the law comes the knowledge of sin, but not apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall glory, short of glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift, though the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. A passage in the, in the book of Psalms, and it's um, chapter 19, verse 14, and it's something that one of the elders at my very first church used to always pray whenever... Um, it was his turn to kind of lead the congregation in welcome and prayer. And, and I think it's probably familiar to you, but Psalm 19, verse 14 says this, and this is every preacher's, it should be every preacher's prayer. And it's saying to God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And that's my prayer this morning. And we're going to have another prayer kind of to prepare me, more for me than for you. But also at this, at this moment, we're also going to be praying a special prayer for Pastor Brett, who is actually leading the Escondido Seventh-day Adventist Church. He's actually preaching for them this morning. And so we're going to make sure that we're praying for him right now because it's about this time that he's also going to be getting up to preach this morning. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much, not just for allowing us to be here this morning, but for giving us your word and for giving us the instructions that we find in it. So now as we continue this series um, through the book of the letter of Romans, God, we know that it's heavy and it's theologically thick, but we pray that you would make it clear for us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this morning, we, we are continuing our, our kind of teaching series through the book of, of Romans. And notice that we say it's a teaching series because, you know, sermon seems like it's a topical thing. Or for me, a sermon seems like I, I need to include more stories and more jokes or something. I don't know. But a teaching is like we are going to dig deep into the scriptures and we are going to allow scripture to speak for itself. And so that's what we're doing this morning. And we're beginning where we ended last week. Last week, we were able to delve slightly into chapter 2 of Romans, but this morning we're going to jump right into chapter 2. And we're going to begin with three verses from chapter 2. So Paul, Paul has just finished telling, he, he, so basically, how, let, me, let me set this up for you who aren't here. The Apostle Paul was a missionary to everybody that wasn't already a Jewish person, and so he was spreading the message of Jesus all over the region. And he was going to what the Bible calls Gentiles. And a Gentile is simply a person that wasn't of the Jewish faith, right? So anyone who wasn't Jewish was considered a Gentile. And, but it was a negative connotation. So a Gentile was someone that wasn't a person of faith. So someone who didn't go to church, someone who didn't really believe in God or believed in all sorts of gods. So Paul was going to the Gentiles. Now, Paul is kind of talking to Jewish people in this little section and Jewish people would always point their finger towards the Gentiles. So they would be like, oh, those people, they are so unholy. Or oh, those people don't have God. They are soulless or they are sinful people. And they don't even know how sinful they are. So the Jewish 
people would point towards the Gentiles and say they are horrible. And so what Paul has just finished doing in the book, in the first chapter of Romans, is he's saying, yeah, look at those bad Gentile people. They are sinners. They are horrible. They are the worst of the worst. And so, you know, so he's getting all of the Jewish people, like, amped up, saying, yeah, they are bad. Right? So they have their fingers pointed towards them. And then Paul says this. You have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. Paul, in this big, grand reversal, he's like, yeah, we're pointing our finger at them. And then he says, look, don't judge because you are doing the same exact thing. You may not be doing the same sins, but when you have sinned once, it's as though you, have, you could have sinned any other way. The Bible teaches us that when we sin once, you've broken all of the laws. So, Paul says, when you point your finger at someone, what you're really doing is pointing it at yourself. Now, how many of us learned in kindergarten, what does a teacher tell us? When you point someone what? You're really pointing how many fingers at you yourself? Three. That's why I point like this, five towards you. No, but when we point our finger at someone, that's like biblical. That's like God's like, look, if you're pointing your finger at someone, you're really, you're calling yourself out. He says, so when, when you pass judgment on another person, you are condemning yourself. And he goes on, do you imagine whoever you are, that when you judge those who do all of these things that Paul says, breaking any commandment, yet you do them yourself, will you escape the judgment of God? If you have been forgiven, Paul is saying, if Jesus has truly forgiven you why are you now pointing your fingers at other people why are you pointing out the very worst in someone else when god has forgiven the very worst of yourself i know i sound like a broken record but if i look at my past i can i can look at all of the sins that i have not all of them but i can think of a lot of sins that i have committed and there are many of those sins that i wish i hadn't done and there are many of those sins that make me ashamed there are many of those sins that if you knew them you might even judge me. And Jesus forgives even the worst of my past sins. So why would I... First of all, I don't want to dig those up. But knowing that I have been forgiven, why would I then stand in a place of judgment and point at someone else? See, Paul is saying, if you've truly understood, if you have truly felt and understood and accepted the forgiveness of God then you should be the last person to point out the sins in other people. He even says, even if the Bible says that something is sinful, when you judge someone for that, in your heart when you judge them, you are guilty of doing the very same thing. Now, some of the things that Paul says is that, you know, when you've done evil, when you have coveted, when you covet someone else, I do this all the time when I'm driving on the freeway, and especially when I see those Tesla, you know, those, those Tesla cars, they actually have a store in most malls now where there's like a Tesla. I covet them like crazy. I'm like, man, I really wish I had that car. And then I remember I have a Honda Accord and I'm all good. Joke. But I covet. I drive by houses sometimes and I'm like, man, I wish I lived in that house. I covet all the time. And I'm not proud of it, but it's so much a part of my sinful nature that's fighting within me. And it's like, I covet all the time. And I have to keep reminding myself on my phone. I have a little thing on my, on my phone. I'm able to put a little note on the home screen. 
that says, be content with enough. Be content with enough. Because the moment that you start coveting and wanting more, what you're really saying, and this is what I don't think we realize, is, God, I deserve more. Please give me more. And we have to be reminded that what Scripture teaches us is that we need to just be content with enough. Other sins that Paul says are murder, strife, deceit, gossip, slanderers, people who like to boast and and brag about themselves, people who have been rebellious towards parents, people who are faithless and ruthless. He says all of these things, he goes, it's easy for us to point those things out. It's easy for us to see the external sins of people, but Paul reminds us that even though other people's sins, they may be more external and we can point to them, don't forget that maybe your sins, you've just hidden them a little bit better. And God forgives you even from those sins that you hide from others. So why would you go and judge other people? And the third time it says, but by your hard and impertinent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of, on the on the day of wrath, for God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He says, the more that you judge someone, God's just like, okay, you're judging yourself. You're not accepting the gift of grace if you keep judging other people. I don't want to live like that. I truly believe that what the Bible says is true and that God has forgiven me even of my worst sins. And since I have experienced grace, then Paul tells me that I must also then be a dispenser of God's grace. Not judgment and condemnation, but I must point people to salvation and grace and the love that God has for you. But do we do that all the time? Is that easy? You know, some of you who I've emailed, you'll notice on the bottom of my emails to remind myself, I, you know how sometimes people sign things sincerely or, you know, you know, if it's someone you love, you say with all my heart or whatever, that kind of stuff. I have, I have put on the bottom of every one of my emails, grace always. Grace, always. Because God's grace abounds for you in every moment of every day. Without God's grace, we would be in deep trouble. And even though I have all of these reminders in front of me, even though I can get up and read scripture every morning, even though I write sermons and spend hour upon hour preparing for these sermons, I am susceptible to all of these things. For instance, how many of you um, okay, not how many of you. I'll just, can I share from my own experience and then you can judge me? But you can't because we just said you can't judge. <laughs> I'm just setting you guys up. Okay. Whenever someone is driving in the freeway, in Southern California, freeways are crazy. But whenever, I, yeah, amen. But whenever I'm driving on the freeway and I see someone with like a Christian bumper sticker, right? It's like I try to follow them to see if they're going to mess up. It's almost like I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to see if they cut someone off, if they tailgate someone, if they, that's why I don't have Christian bumper stickers. And, you know, I'm just like waiting to judge them. And the moment they do anything and I'm like, and they call themselves a Christian. I'm like, really, David? Like, really? The other day I was um, just kind of along with this just to show you that I'm susceptible to this. And, and by the way, there, it's probably fair to say that I spend probably more time reading scripture than any one of you here this morning. That's not to brag, it's part of my job, and if I wasn't, then you should have a different pastor, okay? So I'm just, 
I need that in order to be able to lead you well and to live a, try to live a life of integrity. So I, I'm not bragging, I'm just saying, you'll see why the example makes sense in a moment. But I spend daily time in the scripture and in reading and in trying to memorize scripture because I know that God uses scripture kind of to inform and to shape me um, with the Holy Spirit. So I'm immersed in this stuff, okay? I try to live and surround my life around Christ. However, even on those freeways, I'm getting mad at people, okay? And I try to remind myself, maybe their wife just gave birth and they have to get to the hospital or something, you know? But the other day, um, I had just purchased a a new car, pre-owned vehicle, okay? So um, I I bought a new car, new to me, and I was like, oh, finally, my air conditioner works. It's not making a weird engine noise. The engine light isn't going to come on for another, like, 60,000 miles, my windows roll up, my alarm actually, lo- like the button locks the car, you know, because my car was getting old. And I'm in the drive-thru, and, and I was with Pastor Brett, worst guy to have when you're in a car accident, and I'll explain why in a moment. We were there, we got something to drink, we were exiting, but there was a car coming, so I had to stop. Like, I could, there was nowhere for me to go, and all of a sudden, boom. Not even seven days after buying a new car. That's why I don't believe in buying new cars, because something's going to happen. Five days into it, Boom rear-ended. I was like, and it was slow, but you know, Hondas are not made out of like all metal, especially the bumpers. So I'm like, ah, oh. and, so, and so Pastor Brett gets out, he looks at it, and he was like, he like, you know, he's like, it's good. So he's like, it, there's nothing there. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, she hit me, right? It was, it was unfortunate. It was a female. So he's like, no, no, it's good, man. It wouldn't bother me. So I'm like, and so he goes to the girl, and he's like, hey, are you okay? She's like, yeah. He goes, we're cool if you're cool. I'm like, because it's not your car, Brett, you know, and he, and so I'm like, well, he's like, I don't know what to tell her, I'm like, don't tell her that, you know, we pull over, I'm like, you know, and it's a new car, so you're like, it it just bothers you, right, but you said, you know, anyway, so I'm there, and I'm looking at it, and you know, all of you are going to look at it after church, I'm sure, you can barely see that it's there, but I was like, kind of angry within myself, but like a reserved anger, and then, of course, I see the girl pull up, and she's, like, in a Mercedes, and I'm just like, ugh, you know? And so I'm, like, going to judge her, and I see her license plate, and on her license plate, it says, um, I didn't take a picture of it, but it says um, Hebrews 5, verse 8. And I'm just like, oh! I'm like, <laughs> Christians, learn how to drive! And then the worst part, I was like, Brett, what is that verse? Because I didn't know that verse, you know? And... And it's funny because I'm like judging this girl harshly in my mind. And, and you know what's funny? That verse is, um, although Jesus, or although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of salvation. And I'm just like, okay, God. <laughs> like, he's teaching me, even in the midst of this, is like, you're really going to get mad and judge this girl? And then she gets out, and she's like the nicest, you know, super apologetic, we'll make it right, we'll fix it, we'll do whatever we can, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry, and she was just willing to work with me. I was judging someone I didn't even know, I was upset, and God's like, dude, do I have to make you get into a bigger fender bender for me to teach you a lesson? And that's, that's what Paul is saying, he's like, look, if you have been forgiven, there is never a circumstance where you can then judge other people, because God's not judging you anymore. God is not judging you for the sins you have committed, so why are you so intent on judging other people? To be true and genuine followers of Jesus, 
is for you to not judge others, but rather to always see them the way that Jesus has chosen to see them. So let's keep going because we have some more time. Verse 4, he says, Or do you not, wait, do you, so this is Paul asking, do you despise, do you hate the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Do you not realize that God is being patient with you? Because God sees everything. God has seen every sin you have ever committed, and yet God continues to love you, and he allows you to be patient, and he allows you to continue to seek after him. And Paul's like, so stop pointing the faults in other people. And so we, we kind of go into this next little section. And then, God, and then Roman, uh, Paul says, For God will repay according to each one's deeds. To those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. While for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth but wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be anguish and distress for everyone who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Okay. I'm going to go back here for one second. I have spent the last three weeks talking about how it's not your actions. It's not how good you are or how bad you are that God will judge you by, okay? You can't be good enough to earn salvation. That's what I've been telling you, and that's why we need Christ. Now Paul says this after, and he even said it, all right? So I'm just reading what the Bible says. We're going kind of section by section to the book of Romans. So this would seem like it's contradictory, like he's contradicting himself. All right, so you know how people say, man, the Bible contradicts itself? They point to verses like this. Paul just says, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. And then 10 verses later, he says that God is going to judge you by your actions. Now, first of all, what we have to understand um, is that Paul under, Paul's understanding of the way things are is that in the Old Testament, you did have to earn your salvation. So he, he is taking that understanding, and he says, yeah, I'm very well aware of that. He's talking to Jewish people, but to Gentiles alike. He says, I understand that. So Paul says, yeah, knock yourself out. Be good. Be so good that you can earn your salvation. But what's the caveat? You can never be good enough to earn your own salvation. It's almost like Paul in his rhetorical style is saying, look, we all know this. We have heard this. Go ahead, try to be good enough to earn your salvation, but you will never be good enough. What the Bible commentators would go on to say about this passage is it isn't so much talking about that there's a, there's a level of goodness you can get to in order to earn your salvation. Because remember, he just said, if you're judging other people, you've already lost it. You've already misunderstood what Jesus has, has given you in grace and in, his, and in his sacrifice on the cross. So what Bible commentators would go on to say, and I read several of them this week, is he's not actually talking about you can be good enough. It's that those who persistently seek to live a life that is modeled after Christ have A, understood what grace is, and are trying to live a life that gives honor and glory not to yourself, but to God. And if you are living a life that is trying to give honor and glory to God in everything you do at work with the coworkers that treat you horribly and the ones that you can't even get along with, if you are still trying to do the very best you can, not for them, 
not for your boss that doesn't, you know, pay attention to all the good things you do, but you're doing it for the honor and glory of God, then what Paul says is, you have already understood what it means to begin to live into God's eternal kingdom now. We don't have to wait for then when Jesus comes, but we can begin to experience that today. Look, I've had bosses that I couldn't stand, but I don't necessarily work for them. I do my job so that I can give honor and glory to God. How you talk to your husband and your wife is about giving honor and glory to God. And I know that's hard. That's like the hardest one. I get it. I know. I know. But, you're, but remember that the next time you want to raise your voice, it's about giving honor and glory to God. The next time you want to cut someone off in the freeway because they cut you off first, and that's like Southern California, second nature here, remember that you are going to do that to God. I know that's like a guilty, but that's not what I'm trying to get across. It's that you must live your life in such a way that everything you do is pointing your finger to God and saying thank you for all that you have done for me. And so I'm going to go over a few verses before we finish. So to kind of flesh this out a little bit more, I want to read another, another letter that Paul wrote to kind of help us to understand. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says this, So if you have been raised with Christ, basically if you have accepted the gift of salvation that Christ has given you by giving his life for you, if you've accepted that, then it means that you, you have, in a sense, died with Christ in his death, and now you are resurrected because of the resurrection of Jesus. So he says, if you have been raised with Christ then seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. To seek the things that are above is Paul's way of saying, do what Jesus would do. Do what Jesus would do. Do you remember the one time that Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, right? The Lord's Prayer. You probably know it so well that you have glossed over the meaning of the prayer. We do that all the time. How many of you, well, don't raise your hands, but I remember growing up, I used to kind of pray the same prayer every night before going to bed. I had it memorized so well that even though I was half asleep, I could say that same prayer. And then I came to the realization one day, what am I even praying does God want to hear that same prayer, or does he want to hear more? And I think we do that with the Lord's Prayer, right? We, we say the Lord's Prayer. You can all recite it now, and you won't really be paying attention to the words. But tucked into that prayer, Jesus says, forgive, those, forgive, those, forgive your debtors just as I have forgiven you your debt. Forgive others just as I have forgiven you to live a life that is modeled after the way of Jesus, to put your mind on the things that are above is to live by the very highest ideal, live by the highest standard of human conduct. So notice, just because we have been saved and God has given us the assurance of salvation doesn't give you the free pass to live however you want. In fact, if you say, Jesus has saved me so I can do whatever I want, then you've you misunderstood the whole concept, and you got to go back to square one. But the fact that Jesus has given his life for you and allowed you not to have to pay the ultimate punishment of sin, which is eternal death, you can now live a life that gives honor and glory to God in everything that you do. Now we want to live by setting our mind, our hearts, our thoughts in the way that Jesus would have us live. 
And we do that because we're pointing to Christ, not ourselves. And by being a good witness of Jesus, we hope that more people will want to know about the God that helps you live in such an attractive way in this world, that you're not cutting people off, that you're not judging people, but that you're being loving and inclusive and accepting. So Paul will go on to say a little bit more. He says, So put to death, therefore, whatever in you that is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. So Paul is like, to live and to focus your sights on God is to do away with all of these things that are only glorifying you. We live in a world, in a country, and in a society where we want to be glorified. So to live in such a way that says, I don't want glory to come to me, but I want it to go to God, is to live a completely countercultural way. To be a Christian is to, be, is to subvert the way things are. You see, we've often said that the things that are worldly are like drinking, smoking, and partying. But the truth is, 99.9% of you don't do those things, and it makes you feel good about yourself. But when the Bible writers talk about things that are worldly, they're not talking about those things. They're talking about everything you do that is just to serve yourself. Which means that every one of us in here is worldly. When we say those harsh words to the people we love, when we want to get our way over someone else's way, that's worldly. That's worse. Because that's a part of who you are. When you don't forgive, when you judge others, that's worldly. And Paul says, do away with that. There is no room for any of that in a follower of Christ because you're still living for yourself when what Paul is asking you to do is to live a life for Christ. He says you have been dead in Christ and now you are resurrected into a new kind of life and now your life is hidden in Christ. And I'll, I'll finish with this. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self. Okay, this is your sinful self with its practices, and you have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Because in the first century when Paul was writing, Jewish people, the people of faith, believed that they were closer to God, that they had a closer in to God, that they were privileged, and no one else could be a part of this. And Paul says, because he heard the command of Christ, Paul says, everyone has a share in the kingdom of God. Everyone has the opportunity to be a part of the family of God. There is no difference between Jew and and Greek. And Paul says, you can try to earn your salvation and be the very best that you can, but if you're doing it because you don't want to lose your salvation, you've misunderstood. So I'll finish with this. I've, I've often heard this, um, and I can only speak for our churches because that's the only churches I've ever really been a part of. But I've often heard people say, well, yeah, Jesus' death on the cross saved us, but I have to be good because there's a, th there comes a point where if you're not good enough, you can lose your salvation. So like this morning, if I said, if Jesus came this very moment through this door 
and says, okay, I'm taking all of you who are safe to heaven. How many of you would say, I'm going? I can tell you without 100% without a doubt because of what Scripture teaches me that I'm going with Jesus. And I just shared with you all the things I do wrong. All right? I, not everything, but some of the things <laughs> that are sinful. <laughs> We're not that close yet. Don't talk to my sister. I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's here today. But without a doubt, because I know what the Bible teaches, I am saved regardless of the sin that I've committed in my life because the death of Christ, it, it is good enough for all of that. I can't be bad enough to then lose my salvation. That's not how it works, and that's not what the Bible teaches. If you still feel that way, I invite you to open your heart to God and say, God, teach me better, because that's no way to live. That's living under bondage. You're still a slave to sin if you're living that way. But if you can say, no, Lord, thank you so much for the gift of salvation, and you'll see how this all makes sense when we get to chapter 3. When Pastor Brett opens the word next week, you're going to see how this makes even more sense. Next week is kind of the culmination of these three chapters. But Christ has died. He paid the ultimate cost so that you wouldn't have to. And now he is asking us to be a witness and to give glory to the God who would go through any lengths to love you and to keep you safe in his family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we struggle with the idea that you have saved us and that your death is enough. We struggle because we live in a world where we are taught that we have to be better that we're not good enough, that we have to be with less sin in our lives. But God, we want to claim the, the scripture that teaches us that your death is enough, that we are a part of your family and you are keeping us safe. And so I pray now, Lord, that as we wrestle with what we have heard this morning, that your spirit would guide each one of us to a deeper understanding of who you are, of what you've done for us, and of what you require of us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.